um, coming from the book of Philippians, chapters, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, we want to welcome today Travis and his family are here because Travis is uh, seeking to let you guys hear him preach. Uh, you can go online and hear some other sermons, uh, but uh, we're really thrilled that Travis is here today uh, from the Philadelphia area with Esther and his three sons. They're three sons, and so brother, welcome to the pulpit. Thank you, Clyde. Thank you, friends here. Uh, good morning, it's good to be with you. As Clyde said, uh, I'm Travis, I'm the, the candidate to be uh, the senior pastor for you all. So it is a great privilege and a great joy to get to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm praying that though fingers may be cold, that hearts are still warm uh, by the gospel as we are here uh, together. So this morning, we are jumping in to the book of Philippians. I know this is sort of painful when you flash into a book out of nowhere, but that's what happens when you have an out-of-town visitor. So uh, this morning, we are briefly dipping into the book of Philippians and into one particular passage that you might think, Travis, why did you pick? that passage. That's not one of the sweeping grand passages that we think about if you're familiar with the book of Philippians. Uh, this passage essentially deals with two specific people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and how Paul feels about them and their travel plans. Uh, not obvious gospel implications when we just read through the passage. And Paul actually only gives one instruction in the entire passage, which is to welcome and honor this brother Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, spoiler alert, is not on earth anymore. So how does this command apply to you and I if we don't have a tangible physical Epaphroditus to actually welcome and honor? I think a contrast that Paul actually sets up and addresses in our passage uh, helps us see uh, what's going on here. He helps us see, uh, first, the unparalleled excellence of Timothy in contrast with what I would say is the faithful ordinariness of Epaphroditus. 
And that contrast that he brings out in this passage helps us discover an important theme that's really very key to our experience in the Christian life. And here's that theme. What do you do when you don't get what you want? What do you do when you don't get what you want? And what does God do with that? What does God do in our lives when we don't get what we want? When he doesn't give us what we want. Well, to explore that theme, I want to turn our attention to uh, four things. First, the excellence of Timothy in verses 19 through 24. Uh, Then the contrast with Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30. Then the necessity of Epaphroditus, and finally, what he reveals. So those four things, the excellence of Timothy, his contrast with Epaphroditus, the necessity of Epaphroditus, and what he reveals. Now, don't panic. That's three points worth of content organized over four points. So, we won't be here for ages. This is for your sanity and for mine and for clarity. So, before we dive into this, I would invite you, let's pray with me. Let's bow our heads before God and ask him to fill up our time. Father, we come before you now having heard echoes of your love in this service having heard the promises of your grace, of your faithfulness, of your commitment to us, even us. That this is your house, that we sit under your roof, which was made for those who know themselves to be in need. Father, so every heart that is here this morning that finds itself in need, would you meet that need with your grace? Would you heal us with our spirit. Would you meet us in those moments where we are not getting what we want and it is very difficult to deal with? Would you meet us in this morning when we have got what we want to find greater appreciation and joy in you? But most of all, would you meet us that we might leave having been changed by an encounter with you? So it's in your son's name and by your Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, let's dive right in then first to the excellence of Timothy. We see this if you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to have them open, or if you don't have one, there should be a hardback one in the pew in front of you. We're going to start in verses 19 through 24, and we'll do a little bit of moving around here. So in verses uh, 19 through 23, actually, Paul tells about how he hopes to send Timothy back to the church in Philippi soon. Uh, Philippi was a city that Paul and Timothy had done a lot of missionary work in. There was a church there that they knew, that they were fond of. People were familiar with them, so they would have known Timothy and Paul. This wasn't an introductory letter. This was catching up, right? This is correspondence. And so Paul is telling them that he hopes to send Timothy uh, to them soon, which he says he hopes to do. And verse 20 because he says he has no one like Timothy. And that's a very high compliment. I don't know how many times maybe you've heard in your life someone say, I have no one like you. Maybe at your work, maybe in school, maybe you've been student of the month, maybe you've been employee of the month, maybe you've received a particular honor. But when someone says that about you, that's a very special thing, that that you are my top tier choice. You are the headliner, you're the star, you are the hero, you are the best of the best. And he says that because only Timothy seeks their well-being in a singular way, as Paul does. So much so that Paul can say, he is like a son to me. He bears that kind of image, that kind of likeness. I don't know how many of us have recognized in our parents 
or in our kids, some kind of likeness, right? A, a closeness of you are like me in my mannerisms and the way that I talk and the way that I sound. I think of this most recently. If any of you all watch Sunday night uh, football, Chris Collinsworth, one of the announcers, has a son, Jack, and I think the only reason Jack has a job is because he sounds exactly like his dad. Uh, so sometimes there are parallels, right? There, there are ways that we are like others. Timothy is like Paul. He is someone who has been uniquely changed by God, who has learned to see life through the lens of what Jesus has done in his perfect life and his sacrificial death on the cross to return us back into relationship with God, to bring us, in other words, home. That's what the whole journey of Scripture is about, is about God bringing us home from exile, from heartbreak, from loss, from pain. It's about God bringing us home. Timothy had learned to see life through that lens. He could see life without the clutter and disintegration of sin and all the self-interest and crippling self-focus that it brings. He could see past himself to others. This is why Timothy is so singular. Paul knows there is no one like Timothy who has experienced the grace of God like that that he could send to them, but he's not sending Timothy right now. This is a big setup. We see that in verse 23. He hopes to send Timothy soon, but not right now. Paul has made these sweeping praises of Timothy, of how great he is, of how much he is just like Paul, and now he's telling you, but you can't have that guy right now. This sets up, I think, if we were in Philippi, an immediate disappointment. Right? Paul is reminding you about this person you love, this person that you're excited about, and says, isn't this guy awesome? But he's, he's not coming to you right now. There is a sense of disappointment. I'm no longer getting the best. I'm not getting what I want. And it's against the backdrop of the excellence of Timothy that Paul introduces who he actually is sending back to them, which is Epaphroditus, maybe one of the most difficult names to say in the entire New Testament. And that brings us to our second point, the contrast between Timothy and Epaphroditus in verses 25 through 30. In verse 25, Paul says he is sending not Timothy, but Epaphroditus, one of their own. This is actually someone they sent as a messenger to deliver gifts and news to Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And that's actually where Paul is writing from at this time under house arrest. And so Paul is sending back to, some, back to them someone that they would have expected to come back anyway. This is not new information, really. You would be expecting the person that you sent who lives in your town. If we sent someone from Cambridge to go and visit Philadelphia, you would expect them to come back from Philadelphia to their home and live in Cambridge. This isn't exactly awe-inspiring news that Paul is rolling out for them. They would expect to get him back. There's not a real treat in that. It's ordinary. And yet, make no mistake, Epaphroditus was still good, even better than they knew, it seems. Because even though he is no Timothy, Paul describes him in verse 25 with rich, beautiful descriptors. He calls him a brother. And that's family language. In the same way that he said Timothy is like a son, he calls Epaphroditus like a brother. That's someone, again, who would bear his likeness. He calls him a fellow laborer, a fellow fighter in the faith. He even calls him a minister, which is a term 
in the original language, in the Greek, leturgas, that is meant to elevate Epaphroditus in our eyes because that was a word that was reserved for civil government office holders or for religious ceremonies, for, for people or things that had a weight to them. They had a particular importance and quality. And so though Epaphroditus doesn't seem to be a vocational pastor, Paul says his service to Paul was so much so that it was like he was a professional. He was that good in his presence. So Epaphroditus is coming back to them as one who has actually been greatly approved of by the person that you would most hope to greatly approve of you, by Paul. Paul's words in these verses are meant to show them the quality of the person that they are receiving back, which may be different than the person that they sent out maybe different from the person that they had known originally. Paul sends back to them a different man, an honorable person, one that they are, as verse 29 says, to hold in honor. But you can hear all that about Epaphroditus, about how much Paul loves him, about how blessed Paul was to have him with him, and you can still think, that's awesome, I love that guy, but I would still like to see Timothy. I would still like a visit from the greatest of all time, right? I want to see the goat. Can you send him to me? The ordinary guy, that's great, but he's always going to be here. There's, there's nothing special in that. You want the headliner. You want the expert. We all want that, right? We all naturally want the best of the best. That's what anything on Amazon is about. What are the best reviews? What are the best products? That's what our age has become about. How can I get the best? I think likewise we would... It would just feel a natural difference if we heard this between the possibility of an all-star visit, getting what you really want, and the difference between just an ordinary visit, not necessarily getting what you want. There's nothing really special in that. Yet Paul seems to think there was something actually very special in sending Epaphroditus back to them, something that he even says is necessary. Verse 25, he thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus to them, not Timothy. Not Timothy. And seemingly necessary that we see the exceptional nature of Timothy held up alongside just the ordinary faithfulness of Epaphroditus. Which brings us to the beginning of the real weight of our passage, the necessity of sending Epaphroditus and not sending Timothy. So this takes us to our third point. See, I promised you we'd keep it moving. Here we are, point three. The necessity of Epaphroditus. In saying it's necessary to send Epaphroditus, Paul seems to suggest there is something important about his coming back to them, that he is actually what they need in this moment and not Timothy, even if he wasn't what they want. Paul was sending the Philippians not what they most wanted, but what was necessary. Paul was doing for them not necessarily what they wanted, but what was truly necessary for them. Epaphroditus, the ordinary guy, was necessary. Timothy, the extraordinary, greatest of all time, was not necessary. What was necessary was the ordinary person, the hometown guy, the average person. 
And in seeing that necessity, Paul mirrors for us what God does in all of our lives. He gives us what we need, even if it's not necessarily what we want. And often, he gives us the thing that's familiar and ordinary, but not extraordinary. He's giving us, as Tim Keller has said so well, what we would ask for if we knew what he knows. God is giving you what you would ask for if you had the information that he has, if you had the foresight that he has, if you had the wisdom and the power and the goodness that he has. God is giving you exactly the best that he would want you to have, even if you and I cannot understand that in the moment as the best for us. He is working to give you what you would ask for if you knew what he knows. And he is not willing to let you settle for less than that, any more than Paul was willing to send them the all-star when what was necessary was Epaphroditus, the familiar guy, the ordinary guy who doesn't seem that special. He somehow is what was needed, as we're going to talk about in a moment because of what he draws us to see. But I just want to stop for a minute and have us think, how is God doing that in your life today? How is he sending you something ordinary that he knows is necessary to your flourishing in the Christian life, to your finding faith for the very first time, to your being encouraged, to your being humbled? How is God doing something that he knows is necessary, even if it's not what you would choose? We can easily think, God, I want this thing to help me understand you, to finally make it all clear, to make faith easy, and that I can just see something miraculous and believe. God, I want this, this possession that will make my life easier so I can stop struggling. But right now, God has given you the Epaphroditus of not the newest or the best, but the ordinary. Maybe it's something like, God, I want a career like she has. I want an education program like I see my friends getting into. I want a resume like he has. I want a follower count like they have. I want friends like they have to show me, God, that you are for me, that you love me, and yet God has sent you the Epaphroditus of what you have right now. Maybe it's, God, I want my spouse to do these things for me, or I would choose this kind of person as a spouse if I don't have one. And yet, husbands and wives, single friends waiting for a spouse, God has sent you Epaphroditus. If you are married, a faithful partner in the gospel, though perhaps not the partner that you want in this moment, not the partner that you wanted on the drive here this morning, as we argue on our way to church so often. Amen? By your laughs, I know that's an amen. <laughs> or perhaps if we are single, the Epaphroditus of waiting for a spouse who would be what we feel we need, what we would, what we would want, and yet God is giving you this moment of waiting, this ordinary moment, because he has seen that it is necessary Maybe it's, God, I would choose parents like those. I would have wished that I had parents like 
them. I wish that I could be a parent like that. And maybe God has sent you, Dave and Janet, Epaphroditus. Average, ordinary, faithful, and hopefully good parents, though certainly imperfect. So what do we do in these moments? What do we do when God doesn't give us what we want, but gives us what we need? Verse 29 tells us that we are to, I think a better translation is welcome, rather than just receive, but welcome in the faithful, ordinary, unexceptional spouses, parents, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord. To welcome them in and not to dismiss their values just because they aren't the greatest, just because we don't like them the best, just because we don't click with them the best, just because they do things at times that really frustrate us. They say things that really frustrate us. They, they are just difficult people. They aren't what we want. We are to welcome them because it is necessary for us that they have come as ordinary, as unexceptional. If someone else was necessary, God would have sent them or God will send them. And Scripture is full of difficult moments where people certainly could have cried out, God, I wish you would have sent someone else. Where Joseph could have cried out in Egypt when he had been sold into slavery by his own brothers, God, I wish you had given me a different family. If you are feeling that this morning in whatever way, God, I wish this was not the way it was. You are in good company in Scripture. And yet that is painful company as we wait through these things. God has given us the ordinary, the unexceptional somehow, to minister to us just as Epaphroditus, the ordinary brother, ministered to Paul. We need the ordinary. God uses the ordinary. He uses us. Not you on your best day, you on your average day. On the day that's not getting put on Instagram. On the day that's not showing up in the highlight reel when you look back on your life. He doesn't just use the gifted and the exceptional. He uses the ordinary. More on that in a minute. But just as a side note here, I want to be very clear that I am not saying that we excuse or we overlook anyone's sins. Not by any means, all-star or not. We should not condone sinful or abusive behaviors. But even with those who sin against us, those who have stepped outside of the ordinary into the hurtful, it is to say, receive what is good in them wherever we can. Not indulging or covering over their sin for them, not indulging manipulation or abuse, but holding our hearts open as best we can by the enablement of the Holy Spirit that those who sin against us would find forgiveness and real repentance. Whether they would choose that for themselves or not, whether they would soften their hard hearts or not, that we would hold our hearts open to the idea that they would find forgiveness and repentance. Whether we can trust them again or not, whether we get to have relationship with them again or not, that we would hold our hearts open to that possibility because that is how Jesus Christ found you. 
That's how he found me, as the hard-hearted person that did not want to repent, that did not care about saying we were wrong, that did not care about amending our ways, that did not care about anyone or anything else if it got in the way of me. That's how Jesus finds you and I, not on our best day, on our worst day. That's where he finds us. That's where he comes to us with grace and gentleness, with kindness and forgiveness. Because Jesus' redemption is not just for the all-star. Christianity is not a DIY religion. It is not fix yourself up. It is not God helps those who help themselves. No, that is not Christianity. Christianity is Christ saves those who cannot save themselves. He saves the ordinary, the unexceptional. He saves even the train wreck. Because Paul, who is writing this letter, was a train wreck before Jesus met him. Paul was a murderer and a gang leader. He was a persecutor of the church. Paul was not an all-star before God started using him. He was an outcast from the church. And yet, God turned his life around. Because the gospel is for train wrecks too. But where you're around earnest brothers and sisters in the faith who are not all stars and who are not train wrecks, who are just ordinary, welcome them, receive their impact in your life, and honor them, as verse 29 says. Rejoice in the ordinariness that they bring to us because God has sent them to us with all their imperfections for our good. Not for our disappointment and frustration. Not to limit you, but to do something greater, to point you, actually, to something greater. And this brings us to our final point about what Epaphroditus reveals to us through his ordinariness he actually points us to something greater, something more necessary than a Timothy could bring to them. He points us to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus Christ. See, sending Epaphroditus, in contrast to the all-star Timothy, couldn't help but start to shake their faith in gifted people being what they need rather than in the gifts of God being what they need for growth and flourishing and hope. After all, it's the same Holy Spirit who was at work in Epaphroditus that was also at work in the all-stars, Paul and Timothy. It's the Holy Spirit who made any of them anything at all, who equipped them and supported them to be something more than themselves, who made them exceptional in the first place. Again, remember, Paul, before the gospel, train wreck. After the gospel, apostle. It was the Holy Spirit that did that, not something in Paul. Yes, Paul had gifts that they did not. Yes, he was an apostle, but Paul was not special on his own. Scripture does not mince words about that. There was nothing special about Paul when Jesus found him. He was a train wreck, and yet Jesus found him. What made him special, what remade his life, what changed him from top to bottom, from running a gang and putting people in prison and putting them to death, what changed him was not a degree, it was not an accreditation, it was not an experience, it was meeting Jesus Christ and having the Holy Spirit come into his life. That's what transformed Paul. 
from Saul of Tarsus to Paul. And likewise, what makes our ordinary brothers and sisters in Christ special, what makes you and I special this morning is the Holy Spirit. It's not gifted people. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not your appearance or theirs that makes you something special. It's not your personality or theirs that makes you something special. It's not your drive, how hard you're willing to work, your talents, your gifts. It's not your career or your relationships. It's not your connections. It's not your parents and it's not your children. It's not your brothers and sisters. It's not your friends. What makes any of us truly special, worth knowing, worth being in relationship, worth receiving encouragement from, worth, worth giving encouragement to, is the Holy Spirit and what He does in our lives to change us, to pull us back from being those train wrecks, to pull us back from those dark moments, to pull us back from the worst versions of ourselves that we just can't shake time and again. That is what changes you, not our hard work, not our effort. It is the grace and the gentleness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not what our eyes see or our ears hear about each other this morning or in the course of our lives, but what the Holy Spirit does, how He changes us, how He makes us new. That's what makes you truly extraordinary, according to Scripture. That's what makes you truly worth knowing, truly exceptional. It's not being gifted. It's having the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what equips us to serve like an all-star, even in those ordinary moments, and to just serve well in the ordinary. That's what we need, not to be gifted, but to receive the gift of God. And that is part of what makes the gospel so unique and so special, because it is not a faith just for the gifted, just for those who can do all the steps, who can reach that certain level, who can put in the time, who can put in the money. That is not what the gospel is. It's for the ordinary, for you and me, for the unexceptional. The church has always been filled with the ordinary, for the, filled with the Epaphroditus's of the world. Christianity has always been this way because Jesus himself came to save us not as a Timothy shining in our eyes as the obvious Savior that we would have chosen, but as an Epaphroditus, ordinary in our eyes. As we might remember thinking back to the Advent season, to Christmas that just passed, when the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, was going to be born, where did the Magi go to look for him? They went to look for him in a high place, in the palace with the King. And yet, where was Jesus born? In a cow shed. Unexceptional. Ordinary. Jesus, who didn't come from far off, who didn't come from the elite places, from the elite schools, but who grew up in a rural, poorly thought of part of the country as just a local boy. Jesus, who was a carpenter, a tradesman, in a time when people wanted a warrior to save them. 
Jesus who was poor in a time when power was held by the rich. Jesus who associated with outcasts in a time when who you spent your time with said everything about who you were. Ordinary in a world where everyone was putting their hope in the extraordinary. It still sounds a little familiar to me. It still sounds like today. Why wasn't Jesus' resume better? Why so ordinary? Jesus came as something ordinary, something unimpressive to save you and I in part so that we would know salvation is exclusively by his giving it to you, not your doing it for yourself. Not by gifted people doing it for themselves. And that is such good news. It is the best news because the burden of having to be extraordinary enough to be loved, of having to be gifted enough to get in, to be accepted, to be part of the community, to be part of the friend group, to be part of the cool kids, we never outgrow that. Amen, right? Older folks, we know. You never outgrow that desire to be part of the cool kids. That weight of always having to be extraordinary, be funny enough, likable enough, that is a crushing burden. Don't we just ache and desire to just be accepted as we are, to be brought in, and yes, to be changed and not to be left where God found us, but to not always have to meet this high bar just to be in. Christ came to carry that burden too. That heavy burden of having to be special, to be loved, to be valuable, to be worthy. And he came so that we can just receive him as what makes us worthy and special. Christ may not be the Savior that we wanted. He may not be the Savior that you want this morning, but he is the one that we need. And God will not let us settle for less than we need. So don't settle for less. Don't settle for your resume being the thing that makes you exceptional. It will let you down. At some point, it will not be good enough. Don't settle for letting your relationships, your parenting, your, your child relationships, your brother and sister relationships, your family relationships, your dating relationships, don't settle for letting these things be the marker of how good you are, of how worthy you are, of what God thinks about you. Don't settle for these lesser things. I want to encourage you by way of application here to do two things as we conclude. To embrace the ordinary around you and to embrace the ordinary in you. First, to embrace the ordinary around you is my exhortation because God ministers to us through unexpected and sometimes unwanted people. Our lives are probably full of testimonies to that. If God worked that way through Jesus, shouldn't we expect him to work that way through us too? Through the Epaphroditus's in our lives, through the ordinary in our lives. So I just want to encourage you to ask yourself, maybe after service, maybe later today, maybe tomorrow, where am I overlooking the ordinary around me right now that God might want to do something with? Where am I looking past something that I'm just treating as less than, as not worthy? Where am I looking past someone that I'm treating as less than, as, as not worth my time, that God might want to do something in my life through? That God might want to do something through my life for them? How do I need to stop moving past people that aren't the obvious Timothy 
and to gravitate towards where God has just set me right now in the ordinary faithfulness. I want to encourage you, get to know someone at CTK just because they're here. Not because they can help you, not because they can be your best friend, not because they're entertaining. Get to know them just because they're here. And you don't know what God is going to do through them in your life. Embrace their presence. Welcome them as Christ, we remember, welcomed you. Not on your best day, but even on your worst. And second, embrace the ordinary in you. Jesus wasn't looking for Timothys when he came to save. He came for Epaphroditus's. More than that, he came for train wrecks. He isn't looking for the special. He is what makes us special. He doesn't need you to be extraordinary to save you. He doesn't need you to have this extreme, extraordinary spiritual depth. He doesn't need you to have this amazing victory over sin. He came because we did not have the ability to have that victory ourselves. He doesn't need you to do it. He came because you can't. Let him do that. Embrace the ordinary in you as an opportunity for God to be God and for you to just be his son or daughter and to just rest in that. I want to challenge you. Find one way to embrace the ordinary in your life this week or this month as an act of faith. That what makes you truly exceptional is not what you do, not what you have, not what you know, but the free gift of Jesus Christ living in you by the Holy Spirit. Push yourself to attempt just a little bit less, maybe 10% less this week. Think about tithing your ambition this week of all you're going to get done at work, all you're going to get done at school. Think about 10% less of what you are trying to do, whatever that looks like, in justifying yourself, in being good enough, because you believe that you have enough and you are enough already as you sit here today in Jesus Christ. Because the ordinary Epaphroditus in you may be exactly what someone else needs to see. The ordinary you may be what's necessary for their salvation, for their growth. They may not need to see the greatest of all time. They may need to see just average, ordinary you. Don't rob them of that gift. Don't rob each other of hiding behind the fears that we have of having to be exceptional. Just let others see Christ through you, not just you. Let them see Jesus through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you don't need us to be extraordinary to save us that you find us even on our worst day, that you chase us down, that you come after us time and again, that you love us on the average day, you love us on the basic day, you love us on a Tuesday. But God, we confess that there are ways that we have certainly overlooked the ordinary opportunities in ourselves and around us because we prefer the extraordinary, because we feel we have to be that, because we hunger for that, because we don't have a curiosity about what you're doing. God, would you forgive us and would you bring us home? Would you teach us to find our value and our being enough in Jesus? To not despise the ordinary in you, but to embrace it. That we might show your son through us and that others might see him high and lifted up. So it's in your Son's name and by your Holy Spirit that we pray. 
Amen.